The clip I showed you is from the final battle in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the Battle of the Black Gate at the entrance to Mordor, where the host of the West, an army of men, faced the orcs of the evil Sauron. And it's a crucial moment because the enemy is on the back foot. Frodo the Hobbit is carrying the ring to destroy Sauron's power once and for all. But the army of men must hold out for long enough for Frodo to deliver the death blow to their enemy. And as you can see in the clip, the men are are terrified by the overwhelming opposition that awaits them. And then Aragorn, the king of Gondor, sensing the fear of his men, comes riding in and he calls the men to stand firm. He calls them not to to lose courage in their important task. The call of the king is exactly what they need. And here in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is about to send his 12 disciples on a mission throughout Israel And like Aragorn's men, they're going to face opposition, serious opposition, as we heard in the Bible reading. And what the disciples need more than anything else is the call of their King Jesus. They need to cling to his words as they step out on his mission. And we, like the disciples, also need the call of the King, for Jesus has called us to go on mission in a hostile world. And there is much at stake in this mission, the eternal lives of men, women, and children. We need his word as much as ever. And over the next four weeks, as we look at chapter 10 of Matthew's gospel, we'll be looking at the call of the king, the call of the king to pray, the call of the king to proclaim, and the call of the king to persevere. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Gracious Father God, as we hear the words of Jesus, please help us to hear them as they truly are, the word of our true King and Saviour, our Lord. Please help me to speak these words faithfully in a way which would honour Jesus. In his name, Amen. Well, today we're just going to focus on the first section, chapters 9, 35 to chapter 10, verse 4. And Jesus uses three images to help us understand what he's saying here, kingdom, sheep, and harvest. We're going to unpack each of these as we go. Well, first, we're going to have a look at the king's kingdom, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And it's clear right from the outset of Matthew's gospel that Matthew is telling his predominantly Jewish readers that Jesus is the king. Chapter 1, verse 1, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. The Messiah, the Christ, the royal title of God's anointed king. Jesus is in the royal line of David, the great king of Israel. And in chapter 2, we see the Magi coming from a distant land to worship Jesus as God's king with gifts fit for a king. 
And in chapter 4, when Jesus begins his public ministry in Galilee, we see a verse that is almost identical to the one we see in chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Jesus the king is advancing his kingdom. Matthew has been establishing the credentials of Jesus as God's king. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus calms the storm. Jesus drives out demons from people. He teaches with God's authority. He even raises the dead. There is no doubt that Jesus is God's king. And the king's kingdom is breaking into this world throughout Matthew's gospel in dramatic fashion. And in chapter 10, the king is now sending out his disciples to advance his kingdom not just in Galilee, but right throughout Israel. And by the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus commands future generations of his disciples to make more disciples in all nations, in all the world. Why? Because the king cares about his kingdom. And the king wants his followers to care about his kingdom. If you love the king, you will long for his kingdom to come. Uh, It's so easy for our gaze to be fixed on the minutiae of daily life, isn't it? And not just in lockdown, but I think all the time. It's easy to be caught up in study, work, paying the bills, reducing the mortgage, servicing the car, shopping, cooking, cleaning. And none of these things are are wrong in and of themselves. But Jesus is calling us to more than this, isn't he? To live for Jesus is more than this. In the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, why do you think Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, before he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? Jesus is telling us to lift our gaze above the earthly horizon. To lift our gaze to see the glory of God's kingdom, God's kingdom must take priority. You see, paying off my mortgage will one day be meaningless compared to the awesome return of Jesus and the glory of his kingdom. Well, in verse 36, we see the king's compassion When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The word compassion in the Bible's Greek is literally gut-wrenching, to be moved in your very bowels from where love and compassion comes from. And we see numerous times in the gospel what drives Jesus to respond to the needs of those around him is this gut-wrenching compassion. In Matthew 14, before Jesus feeds the 5,000, he had compassion on the large crowd and healed their sick. When Jesus encounters two blind men crying out to him in Matthew 20, the crowd's response is to rebuke these two men because they mean nothing to the crowd, but it is Jesus' compassion 
that drives him to respond to their need and heal them. You see, this king is not driven by an insatiable thirst for power, power that uses and abuses people for selfish gain. No, this is a king who responds with tender compassion to the needs of others. And I'm sure for many watching today, that is one of the things that drew you to Jesus. A compassion that you have not seen from anyone else. Someone who is there for you even when everyone else fails. Someone who doesn't condemn you or reject you for the things that you have done. Someone who is willing to pay the ultimate price for you, for your greatest need. Jesus' compassion in verse 36 tells us what he thinks is our greatest need. Verse 36, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, Jesus uses a rather unflattering image to describe what people are like. Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd are lost directionless, prone to wandering aimlessly, looking for something, prone to fall into danger, vulnerable to predators. Sheep without a shepherd in the Old Testament, uh, through writers like Ezekiel, describe the people of Israel, people who were neglected by their leaders, brutally exploited by them. People that rather than being cared for by their leaders as God's precious flock, in the end were left to be dangerously lost, desperate for direction and for leadership. And the Bible is clear that sheep who are lost are lost in sin. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us turned to his own way, We are sheep who have been sinned against by others and we are sheep who sin against God and others. The words of Jesus here in chapter 9 have been an incredible help to me in assessing people's great need. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, these words have taught me to be more understanding of people because all of us have been harassed by the sin of others and all of us are helpless to our own sin. When I see the fierce anger of the husband who bullies his wife and children because he was bullied by his parents, he is a sheep without a shepherd. When I see the desperate woman piling toilet paper into her shopping trolley, otherwise she will think of herself as a terrible mother. She is a sheep without a shepherd. When I see the Instagram influencer who needs to Photoshop every imperfection out of her photos, she is a sheep who needs a shepherd. When I see people self-medicating to escape from the burden of guilt and shame. They are sheep without a shepherd. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that there's not a need for accountability, that there's not a need for psychological help or 
medication or help in other forms, but sin underlines all these problems. That is us, isn't it? Harassed and helpless, and and not just when we're in lockdown, but all the time. Without Jesus, we are sheep without a shepherd, lost in our own sin and the sin of others. You see, our great need is not a recipe to win at life. Our great need is not a, a coherent vaccination program. Our great need is for a shepherd who can deal with sin. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells a parable to describe the kind of shepherd he is. For every sheep lost in sin, Jesus is willing to pursue them until he finds them. He's even willing to ridiculously leave 99 sheep behind to pursue the one that is lost. And that's the crazy, compassionate kind of shepherd we need. And that is why our shepherd walked the path of the cross where the sin of the lost sheep was piled onto the shepherd who paid the ultimate price. When we know the shepherd, we can know real forgiveness for guilt. When we know the shepherd, we can know real peace with God. When we know the shepherd, we need not be weighed down by our shame. When we know the shepherd, we can bask in the security of God, our Father's love, instead of settling for the shallow approval of other people. Jesus, our compassionate King, is our good shepherd. Well, yet again, Jesus mixes his metaphors, and in the next verse, we move from lost sheep to a ripe harvest. Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's a beautiful image, isn't it, of fields as far as the eye can see of rich golden wheat or barley. And instead of talking of people as sheep, Jesus is now talking about people as ripe for the plucking. A harvest of people who are ready to respond to people who will share the gospel message with them. Uh, Most of the time I struggle to believe that the harvest is plentiful. When I look at the state of Christianity in Australia, it seems there is not much fruit For the picking, churches are shutting. There's an increasing hostility to the message of Jesus. And yet God reminds me again that he is the Lord of the harvest, and I have little faith. Uh, I thought for sure that COVID would stop the gospel in its tracks. I thought it would be very hard for anyone to follow Jesus if they couldn't come into a church or if they couldn't meet a Christian. And yet recently I heard a testimony of someone in our own church coming to faith in Jesus last year simply by reading the Bible 
and watching YouTube videos. Long before he walked through the doors of a church and met a Christian. You see, the harvest is plentiful. In recent years, the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran. And we ourselves have seen some of this harvest in our Iranian congregation. This is from a Gospel Coalition article written in April this year. The Iranian Revolution of 1979 established a hardline Islamic regime. And over the next two decades, Christians faced increasing opposition and persecution. All missionaries were kicked out. Evangelism was outlawed, Bibles in Persian were banned, and soon became scarce, and several pastors were killed. The church came under tremendous pressure, and many feared it would soon wither away and die. But the exact opposite has happened. In the last 20 years, more Iranians have become Christians than in the previous 13 centuries since Islam came to Iran. In 1979, there were an estimated 500 Christians from a Muslim background in Iran. Today, there are hundreds of thousands. Some estimate more than one million. According to the research organization Operation World, Iran has the fastest growing evangelical movement in the world. The second fastest growing church is in Afghanistan, where Afghans are being reached in large part by Iranians. That's amazing, isn't it? Friends, the the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There is a problem. Jesus says we need workers, which leads Jesus, the call of the king, To pray. Verse 38, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. If the harvest is ripe, what is needed is workers. People who will go and share the message of Jesus with others. Workers who will disciple others by teaching them to follow Jesus in all of their life wholeheartedly. Note here that Jesus could have commanded the disciples to pray for God himself to do the work. Ask the Lord of the harvest to reap the harvest himself. No, he says, ask God to raise workers who will then reap the harvest. Of course, God can do the work of drawing people to himself, to Jesus, just as we've heard But God's normal work is through his means. And God works through the means of men and women he has gifted and empowered by his spirit to share the gospel. Men and women who will lead others to Jesus through teaching them about Jesus. So our first response to the need of the harvest must be to pray for God to raise workers. A few months ago, uh, my wife Emma noticed uh, some signs of burnout in my life. And I spoke to Neil about it, and kindly uh, Neil told me that I should take four weeks' leave. And thanks to our staff team, 
I was able to take that leave. Thank you for praying for me during that leave. Uh, One of the mental pictures that I developed in my head about my ministry was all the needs of people pressing in on me like the waters on a damn wall. And me standing at the damn wall with leaks continually appearing in the damn wall and me desperately trying to plug all those leaks. And COVID has made it harder because it seems there's more pressing need than ever and less freedom to see people to plug the leaks and less energy on my part to plug the leaks. Uh, During my leave, I was walking with a friend one afternoon and I was talking about all this and he said this to me, you take your job too seriously. It, It took me a while to understand what he was saying. And he wasn't saying that the work of Jesus is not important and serious work. Out of love, he was saying something about me. You take your job too seriously. You see, the the damn wall picture is completely wrong, isn't it? Because it seems in that picture that I am the most important person in ministry. It seems like I am capable of holding everyone up. There's no place for Jesus in that picture, is there? Who is the Lord of the harvest? It's not me, is it? It's Jesus. Who is the shepherd of the sheep? It's not me, is it? It's Jesus. You see, one of my struggles is I do before I pray. And I think that is one contributor to burnout. I need to pray before I do. Because there are far stronger and more capable hands at work than mine. In his book on the Sermon of the Mount, Don Carson writes, I'm convinced that the really great issues before us will be settled on our knees. This does not mean that we should do nothing but pray. It does mean that we should do nothing without praying. If it is true that God customarily uses means, it is no less true that we so often focus on the means that we forget that the really significant work must be God's or the whole is to little avail. We must pray before we do. At the start of chapter 10, we see a shift from Jesus telling his disciples to pray to Jesus preparing them to do. Verse 1, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. The disciples are about to become apostles. The followers of Jesus will now become the one he sends out to do his work. That is what apostle means, one who is sent, sent with the authority of the sender. Jesus gives 
authority to the twelve to advance his kingdom. And they will now do the same as Jesus did before, driving out demons, healing sickness, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Now you would think that if you are going to entrust such great responsibility to people on the front line, you would choose the best of the best, elite special forces, perhaps the, the best and brightest students of the Old Testament, perhaps the most gifted public speakers, the most extraordinary miracle workers. Instead, who does Jesus choose? Verse 2, these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip, and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus doesn't choose special forces. He chooses dad's army. This is a motley crew he's chosen. The first four, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, we met back in chapter four, uneducated fishermen from a Galilean backwater. Matthew, the author of this gospel, is not ashamed to remind us that he was a tax collector in a previous life someone who was loathed by the Jewish community as a collaborator with the Romans, someone who exploited his neighbours. Simon, whose denial of Jesus shows that his zeal does not match his performance, and Judas, the lover of money, the thief who betrays Jesus for a bag of silver. These are the ones Jesus sends out on the first mission in Christian history. It's not a breakfast of champions, is it? And that should be an encouragement to you. Because the advancement of the king's kingdom doesn't depend on the ability of the ones he sends, but on the power of the king. There's a lesson of humility for the gifted and the capable Don't overestimate your own abilities because the power to save people from sin, the power to bring real change in someone's life from pursuing self to following Jesus is not your power but the power of the king. So you need to humble yourself. But there's also a lesson of courage for the timid, for the scared, You must not underestimate the power of Jesus to work through the weak. Jesus built his kingdom on 12 weak men who abandoned him during his crucifixion. And he will advance his kingdom through your weakness as well. There is more to be said about the king's kingdom, but more of that next week as we look at chapter 10. But let's have a look at some application for today's passage. I'm going to make it really clear on the PowerPoint slide, and that is to pray. The king's kingdom is important, so we pray. People are like sheep without a shepherd, so we pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so we pray. Before we do, we pray. Before we bring God to people, we bring people to God in prayer. 
Before we get on our feet and go, we must get on our knees and pray. What should we pray for? Your kingdom come. As Jesus taught us, that God would raise workers for his harvest. And why should we pray? Because we are utterly weak, aren't we? As weak as the disciples, less compassionate than our great shepherd, not nearly as strong as our king, for this is not our harvest, but his harvest. So we pray. Pray for our missionaries, those God has raised from our church and who has sent into other parts of the world to share the gospel, that God would provide everything they need to serve Jesus in his harvest. Next time you're allowed to come to the church building, why not pick up a prayer card for those missionaries and as a household pray for them. Kat Thu will be visiting next month from Nepal and from New Zealand. Kat's coming to speak about the work of the gospel in Nepal amidst COVID, and it would be great to attend her mission-minded event so you know how to pray. Uh, For good reasons, the Short family are coming back from the West African nation where they've been serving for more than 10 years. And you know what they would love more than anything else? is if you prayed for God to raise ten times more workers to replace them in that nation. Pray for our Iranian congregation, that God would raise men and women to disciple young believers and model the faith of Jesus to others, that God would raise people to teach the children and young people who face the challenge of growing up between two cultures here in Australia. We have a thriving youth group here at this church, but keep praying for our youth that God might raise courageous young men and women who will speak openly about their faith in their high schools to work for the harvest, even in the face of hostility. We have ministry trainees here in this church and in the Christian Union, trying to work out whether God is raising them to teach the Bible as their gospel ministry or whether to serve him in other ways. Pray that God would give them wisdom and conviction about their futures. There are AFES workers in our congregation and students who are part of AFES who labor in the harvest at universities, and it's been hard work for them because of covid not being able to gather physically on campus to see students face-to-face easily has made a challenging ministry even harder, and yet God is adding to their numbers. Pray that God would raise future generations of leaders for these groups for the harvest, not only to share the gospel at uni but beyond. Pray for our own church COVID has sapped our energy and our our momentum, but we need more people to disciple young believers by reading the Bible with them. We need people to follow up others who've attended Christianity Explored. We need workers for various ministries in the church, and only God can raise them. 
One of the most helpful things you can do after this talk to help your prayer is to go to our website, click the communicate button on the live page, and there you will see an option to receive the daily devotion and prayer email. And each day you'll receive a Bible reading and reflection written by one of our pastors here, and you'll receive a few names from your congregation to pray for, and you'll also receive prayer requests from our various ministries here in this church, our missionaries and our AFS workers. That's a great thing to do. And here's another thing to do. Come to our prayer meeting on Zoom next Wednesday. There's not much else we can do at lockdown. Why not, over lunch, take some time to pray, or at dinner, or before or after dinner, pray with your household that God would raise workers for his kingdom. Let me add one caveat before I finish. When Jesus told his disciples to pray for God to raise workers, the disciples were going to be part of the answer to that prayer. Because Jesus then sent them to do his kingdom work. You see, if you ask God to raise workers for the harvest, you must be willing to be part of God's answers in raising you to be a worker for the harvest. And that might be sharing Jesus in your family. That might be you sharing Jesus in your workplace. It might be you leaving behind comfort and safety to go somewhere else in God's harvest. It might be you making choices that mean you leave financial security behind. It might mean that you give more generously of your time and money than you ever thought. Praying and doing go hand in hand. And more of that next week. Friends, we need the call of the king, don't we? And the call of the king is to pray. Let me do that right now for us. Gracious Father God, we know that we are lost, lost in our sin like sheep without a shepherd. We need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. Thank you that Jesus is the kind of shepherd who pursues his lost sheep who's willing to die on the cross for us. And for that, we give you great thanks and praise. Father, we thank you that you are the Lord of the harvest, that many people are ready to respond to the message of Jesus. Please raise men and women to share this gospel all around the world in our church in our university campuses and schools, in our workplaces, in our Iranian congregation. Gracious Father God, please help us to rely on Jesus, not on ourselves, and help us to be willing to be part of the answer to that prayer. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.